Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. We all do that. To some extent in our lives, we're going to, in the moment, chase what makes us feel good, even if it's not the right thing to do. And the bigger question is not just, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing, but how did I feel about what I did? Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Kimberly Holmes. So Kimberly's going to talk to us about the law of attraction today or the ways to attract your spouse. But did you know there's actually a process to falling in love, according to Kimberly? If you follow the four steps, then you will fall in love or more in love. If you violate the process, you fall out of love, whether you mean to or not. And the whole process begins with attraction, not just physical attraction, but the four key areas of attraction, which is what Kim is going to talk to us about today. And so I don't want to steal that thunder. Kim Beam Holmes has applied her master's degree in psychology for the last 10 years, acting as CEO of Marriage Helper, an international relationship education company, and CEO and creator of Pies University, being a wife and mother herself, and researching the ways that attraction affects people personally and the relationships that they hold dear. In addition to that expertise, she's passionate about entrepreneurship, leadership, and her videos, podcasts, and following reaches over 250,000 people per month who are making changes to become the best version that they can be. She's currently working on her PhD in psychology and lives in Franklin, Tennessee with her husband, Rob, and two beautiful children from India. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Krista. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be with you today. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about something. You know, it's fun when it's a topic that affects pretty much everyone, but doesn't get a lot of press, right? And so I'd love to hear how it happened that you got really interested in this area and you kind of like created a whole foundation and system around it that probably doesn't fall out of the sky. So tell us about how it started. Mm, Absolutely. So I also have to give credit where credit is due. I have not created this whole system, but actually in some ways have inherited it. So the company that I'm the CEO for now, Marriage Helper, the relationship education company was actually founded by my father, who is a researcher. He's a PhD himself. He's actually a sexologist, which is super fun growing up with a father who is a sexologist. But he did a lot of his study in what is the relationship between marital and sexual status? But for the past 20 years, he has put together a system and a three-day workshop that actually has a 77% success rate at saving marriages. And so when I was getting my master's in marriage and family therapy, I was also working at Marriage Helper at that time. And I saw the impact that it was making. I saw the success that was happening. And I caught the vision and the passion for what was happening there. And I said, this is what I want to do with my life. And so I started doing all my research around that. Even the research that I'm doing now in my PhD is having to do for that as well. And just loved seeing the change that was happening in people's lives. So that's how I got into it. And then now for the past five years, I've been the CEO of the organization and had the amazing blessing and opportunity to grow it and impact more marriages, impact more families. 
So that's how I got into it. But then also being a married woman myself for the past decade, I have been able to see this really work in my own life. So I know the principles that we teach work. They have worked with my husband and I, they've worked with the thousands that we've worked with. But then I also have a side passion in this of it's not always just about your marriage. I think we can get too focused on our marriage and put too much for me. I know I put too much of my expectations of happiness on my husband and really it had to start from within me. So how could I become the best that I could be in all of these areas that we'll talk about and be the most attractive that I can be for me? And so that kind of started my side hustle of what I do with Pies University, which is helping people become the most attractive they can be and not just physically. Awesome. I just wonder what it was like dating people with a dad like that. Um, <laughs> and then just even trying to court to the point of marriage, like are you subject to overanalyzation the entire time? I think my parents were. So here's what ended up happening. I didn't really understand what my dad did because I knew he did stuff and he was a researcher, but, and he worked with marriages, but I don't think I made the correlation then, but he slyly would say things to me. If I was dating someone that he didn't think it would work, he would say things like, mm, you're going to run all over that person. You're not going to respect that person long-term. They don't have enough of a backbone for you. And so then he would put these ideas in my head of like, oh, well, I don't need to be with this person. So then I'd break up with them <laughs> and move on to the next one. Which, I mean, hindsight being 2020 was probably very smart. I'm a very strong personality. So I think he did. I think he was doing right by me. But Well, some people just understand that dynamic. And of course, as someone who studies it, I wonder what he saw. Like, is it simple to see that in people? And I think if we would all back up and say, I mean, I think we've all probably wondered if certain relationships will work out, maybe. But like, what do you think goes into that? I'm sure that's a loaded question and it's like the compilation of his entire career. But if you had to think about this relationship where he's going to see you walk all over that person, is that just like an obvious thing? Or I'm just curious. I'm a naturally curious person. And I just think it's so interesting, right? If someone can look at someone and say, I know whether that's going to work out or not. Mm -hmm. So that is a good question and a good point. One of the things that we even do when we work with couples is that we look at their personality styles. And every combination of personality styles can work, but some of them are going to be more difficult than others. So let me give you an example of that. I know the Enneagram is one that's really popular right now. That's not the one that we use, but we use what's called the DISC model, but it's similar to the Enneagram in some ways. Because the main thing about personality and the temperaments that we have is some people are more likely to be fast paced. Some people are more likely to be slow paced. Some people are more likely to be warm and friendly, and some people are more likely to be cold and distant, okay? So if you think of it kind of at a four-quadrant model, you can start seeing there's four types of these. There can be the person who is fast-paced and cold and distant. So they can come across as very aloof, but they're also really quick to make decisions. And Marriage Helper, these are people that we call commanders. So they like to get stuff done. They're not really thinking about the relationship as or wanting to be, you know, touchy-feely and making sure everyone's happy with it. They're just wanting stuff to get done. They're very task-focused and they get it done. But then there's the people who are the fast-paced people who are warm and friendly. So they are the ones who love spontaneity and relationship and having fun and they think fast and they're the life of the party type of people. Like on the Enneagram, I think those would be the sevens, right? And then you have the people who are warm and friendly, but slower processors. So these are what we call the completers. They're more methodical, you know, time is not of essence to them. They have routines. Typically they're very family oriented. These are those kinds of people. And then you have the cold and distant and slow processors. These are the more logical people. We call them calculators. So they take their time. They typically are not very emotional. They're very, you know, task focused. So I've given you four different types of people. So going back to the dating. <laughs> so I am that commander person. I am the driven, get it done, do it now. And I was dating people a lot, especially in my early college years, who would kind of just do whatever I told them to. And my dad seeing this knew this is going to cause problems if this relationship progresses, mostly because of the way that gender stereotypes are in marriage in the Western world in general, where the man typically is that head of the household. You know, he needs an equal amount of respect as the woman. Well, in my relationship, I was not respecting these people I was dating. I was like, you just do this. And they would do what I would say. 
I guess because they were scared of me. This is not painting me in a good picture. Um, but my dad was seeing that and saying this long term, like this is going to have huge problems. And so when I started dating, who's now my husband, towards the beginning of our relationship, my dad said to him, you cannot let her walk all over you. And I tell my dad to this day, you ruined him. You should have just let him be the little nice, amicable trainable person that he was because then he started standing up to me and saying, no, we're not doing it that way. We're going to, let's do it this way. And it's what I need because otherwise I would end up being in a relationship where it's like, take the lead, do something. I can't be the one to only do that. So that's what he was seeing. That doesn't mean that relationships where it's different can't work. It just takes more work and a different type of work than two people who kind of more naturally go together and their strengths match each other in a better way. Yeah, I could see this transitioning so much because as people, we change. And I think about my own transitions from dating to marriage to now, and there's been a lot of transitions there. So anyway, it's not all, you know, of course, it's not a one size fits all thing, but just I love to go through it, right? I love it's like, oh, cool. Can you decide? I just wonder what goes into that. So let's get into the laws of attraction. Let's talk about why don't you lay it on us? What are the four steps to ultimate attraction besides, well, and we said beyond physical, but yes, the four steps to ultimate attraction. Yes, let's talk about it. Well, one of the things that we even talked about at the beginning of this is that there's a process to falling in love. And I want to go back to that because it sets the stage for why this is important and how attraction isn't just one thing that you focus on at the beginning of a relationship, but it's something that continues to be important for us as individuals, as well as for all the relationships that we have in our life, whether it be as a mom, as an employee, as a team member, all of our relationships can fall under this. So there's a process to falling in love. That process starts with attraction. And attraction is what we see or connect with in another person that leads us to say, hmm, I want to move closer. I want to see what's there. I want to see what's below the surface. So the four areas of attraction that matter for us as individuals and for the relationships we're in, the first one is physical. So there is that component of physical attraction, but it's not as much about how we look as much as how we feel in our bodies. So you know this with what the work that you do, the podcast that you have, that if someone doesn't feel good, if they are having trouble digesting, you know, with their digestion, with sleeping, with stress in their life, then everything else, it's like a domino effect. You don't have the energy or the motivation to really be able to focus on anything else because you just don't feel good and you don't feel good about yourself. So in that physical area of attraction, it's all about how can I feel the best about myself that I can for my age and situation in life. So we're not chasing a number on a scale. We're not chasing a certain picture that we want to look like in the mirror. We're instead saying, if I close my eyes and think about how I feel in my body, do I feel good? Do I have energy? And there are components that go into that. But that's that first part. The next part is intellectual attraction. And this is the one where it basically asks the question, are you an interesting person to talk to? Are you a fascinating person to talk to? So do you have interests? Are you continuing to learn? Are you continuing to have hobbies? Are you doing things that give you depth as a person and also things that are giving you focus? Whether that be through your job, if that's something that you're loving and it's giving you focus and passion and energy, or through hobbies, or through even friendships that you may have in your life, going out with girlfriends, doing beach trips, gosh, like, can we please all have a beach trip this year? But doing things that are taking your mind off that rigmarole of the day to day, that's getting you thinking, getting you excited, getting you energized. So that's intellectual attraction. The third one is emotional attraction. And this one is the most important part of attraction when it comes to any of the relationships that you have in your life, because it asks the question, do I evoke emotions within another person that they enjoy feeling? Do I evoke emotions in my daughter that she enjoys feeling? Do I evoke emotions in my husband that he enjoys feeling or my best friend or my coworker at work? These are the things, if you think about all the relationships you have in your life, the ones that you hold nearest and dearest are most likely the ones where you like the way you feel when you are around that person. And so I constantly have to ask myself as a wife, as a mom, as a business owner, 
am I acting in a way where this person likes the way they feel when they're around me? I remember I had a friend who several years ago, she had teenage sons and the relationship between my friend and her sons was so volatile. Every time they were talking or interacting, she was getting on to them about something else and telling them something they had done wrong. You didn't clean your room well enough. You didn't wake up on time. You didn't do this. And this was every interaction. And she had been doing this with them from the time they were, I mean, young children. And so by the time they were teenagers, they did not want to be around her because they didn't like the way that she made them feel. She began to notice this and started changing. And so instead of getting on to them all the time about you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right, she began to start noticing the good things that they were doing, doing things to intentionally connect with them in a positive way. And slowly but surely, it started to make a change in their relationship. Because no matter what relationship it is, if the person that you're talking to or that you are with doesn't like the way they feel when they're around you, they won't want to be around you. And then the fourth part of attraction is spiritual attraction. And this all has to do with beliefs and values. Religion or faith can be a part of this because that is a huge driver of the things that we believe and we value. But it's even more encompassing than that to where it's saying, what are the things that matter to you? What are the things that drive you? What are the things that make you angry? These are the things that are your core values that give you the passion and the drive that you have in life. And so when it comes to attraction, the more in line you are in living your life with the beliefs and values that you have, then the better you're going to feel about yourself. So the opposite of that is if I have a really strong belief and value and then I'm acting in complete opposition of it. So we see this a lot at Marriage Helper. There are people who are involved in an affair and it goes against their beliefs and values, but they have shifted their beliefs and values during that time in order to make it right. But what happens over time is you begin to not like who you are because you've strayed from the person that you know you truly are. So living in line with the beliefs and values that you have is that spiritual attraction aspect of it. But all four of these, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, are what make up the four areas of attraction that we call the pies, the pies of attraction. Mm, There it is. I was wondering uh, what that stood for. (laughs) (laughs) Physical, intellectual, (laughs) emotional, and spiritual. Got it. Okay, cool. Excellent. All right. So weaving these two things together, We've got our physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. Those are all four parts of attraction, which is the first step for falling in love. Mm-hmm. So what comes next in the process for falling in love after mm-hmm. having attraction? Actually, before we go there, I'm so curious because you like piqued my curiosity with this spiritual attraction. You talked about people getting away from their values. So like, what you basically said is like people are inherently good, you know, but they start to do things that they don't want to do. And so do you see relationships recover sometimes from this because we have realization that, you know, to be true to yourself, like you want to correlate with your beliefs and values. So anyway, I just wonder, because of course, people are coming to you and you have a 70, this model is a 77% of success. So what happens in those situations? I'm just curious. Yeah. So yes, the answer is we see the marriages saved, even when there has been someone who's living against or outside of their beliefs and values. We see that happen all the time. The key indicator here, though, is this. Will the person forgive Mm -hmm. the spouse who stepped outside the marriage or did the the thing that went outside of the beliefs and values? That's the bigger thing. Because Mm -hmm. the person doing it, we all do that. To some extent Mm -hmm. in our lives, we're going to, in the moment, chase what makes us feel good, even if it's not the right thing to do. And the bigger question is not just, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? But how did I feel about what I did? Do I realize that it was wrong, that I should not have betrayed my wife or my husband, or I shouldn't have acted that way towards my son or daughter, whatever it might be. The bigger question is, how do I feel about it? And if I am wanting to repair that relationship, then that tells more about the person than what they did. If they're willing to apologize and do what it takes to make it right, that's the bigger indication. And then the forgiveness part of that, because there are some people, gosh, Krista, there are some people who hold grudges about things that their spouse did to them 20 years ago. And then there are other people who are willing to forgive day of. 
And I have found it to be true every time that the people who are willing to forgive quicker are more satisfied in their life. They hold less stress in their body. Actually, if you look at the science of forgiveness and the research behind people who forgive, people who are quicker to forgive have less chronic pain. They're able to sleep better. All of the other relationships in their life are more satisfying to them. They have a greater idea of what their purpose is in life because holding on to forgiveness weighs us down and it can cause physical manifestations in our body. And so if we're able to forgive, move forward and restore and reconcile the relationships, that is the best thing that's possible. We see it happen all the time. Mm. I'm glad we talked about that because that's a great point is that like, we all know we can all think of examples, whatever about forgiveness. I wonder where that fits in the model overall, but let's keep going in the mm, process right. for falling in love. Maybe it'll pop up where forgiveness, maybe forgiveness <laughs> is just, up. maybe just, maybe it's just woven in. So <laughs> that's right. So attraction is what moves us closer. It makes, it piques our curiosity and says, Hmm, is this something that I want to continue to explore? Which takes us into that next step or phase which is acceptance. So even if we go back just a minute and think about these four stages of attraction, you'll see that each of them get closer to the core of who a person is. So how someone looks, how someone thinks, how someone treats others, and what someone believes. These are getting more personal as we go through them. And so when we're thinking about this in relationships, as I'm learning more about another person, there comes a point where I get to decide, do I accept this person as they are? the way they think, the way they act, the way they treat me, the way they talk. Is this someone that I accept or is this someone who I feel like they need to change? Because typically when we're dating, we're not dating a person thinking about how they need to change everything about them. We would just date someone else. We typically are dating them and see all of their good qualities, all these amazing things. We could never have a fight. Nothing could ever go wrong. And then we get married and say, I do. And then we see everything they need to change Mm -hmm. and we start living with them and our blinds kind of come off, the shades come out. And there's actually a psychological phenomenon that happens as that happens. It's normal and it's common. But, you know, once we become more attuned to someone and we're living with them, we're married to them, then we start making lists of all these things we think that they should change. I know this was true for me in my marriage. Our first year of marriage, I was like, oh my gosh. So my husband and I dated long distance for 10 months. And then we got married. And so we had been around each other, but we hadn't been around each other as much in person as we were in our first week of marriage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, (laughs) this is going to sound ridiculous. I had no clue. My husband was an introvert, no clue. And I was this super extrovert because every time we were together was over a three day weekend and we would go out and do things. We would hang out with friends. We were doing all this stuff. Well, he had reserved all of his energy for when he was with me over a three-day period. So I had no idea. And I will never forget during that first month of marriage when he came home from work one day and said he needed time alone. I was like, what? Alone? Why do you want to be away from me? What in the world has happened? I was not comprehending this. And he started telling me he was an introvert. And honest to God, I thought he was lying. I was like, you are making this up. You are lying to me. You are unsatisfied with me as your wife. What is happening here? And so month one of marriage, I was like, he needs to change that. He needs to come home and be ready to talk to me and go out on dates. Like I had these huge expectations. Well, the truth of the matter was, I wasn't accepting that about him. Now that is a bit of a silly example, but there are really difficult things in relationships that we have that people will share with us. We at Marriage Helper, when we're talking about this process, we call it the wall. So from the time that we are young, we realize that people don't really accept us for who we are but people want us to be or act a certain way in order for us to feel accepted. And we start learning this when we're young from the time that our, you know, someone says those shoes don't match your outfit. We are like, oh, well, I guess I need to change. I guess I need to do something different. Or, oh, we don't act that way. We don't say that. We don't do that. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. And we say this to our kids because we're trying to form them and, you know, we have good intentions. But over time, they're learning I'm not really accepted for what I like and who I am. I need to change. I need to be a certain way. And this becomes even more, you can see this even more as people get into middle school and high school, where you really feel like in order to be accepted, 
you have to change parts of who you are or hide parts of who you are. So what ends up happening is we build this wall in front of us and the wall on the other side, we're painting a picture of what we believe the world wants to see, what we believe others will accept about us. So that's what we're putting on the other side. Well, when we enter into relationships, then maybe I start sharing some of these things. I start sharing some of the pebbles from my wall because I'm not going to share the big bricks with you that are really vulnerable and things that I feel that I wonder if you would accept about me. I'm not going to share that first. I'm going to share the tiny things. I'm going to share the fact maybe that I snore when I sleep. I don't, but that could be one. I'm going to share something. I'm going to, maybe I do actually, I need to ask my husband, but I'm going to share the ones that are going to not hurt me as much if you were to react in a negative way. But see, the thing is, if I'm in a relationship and I've only shared a couple of things about myself and the person says that they love me, then I'm only going to believe that they love me as much as I've shared with them. So if I've only taken my wall down to, if the wall extends up above my head and I've only taken the bricks down to like where my nose is and they say they love me, then I'm only going to believe it from above my head down to my nose. I'm only going to believe it a little bit because I'm thinking there's all of this down here that you don't know about me. And if you knew it, you may not love me and you may not accept me. But the more I share my bricks, the more I take them down and the more that the other person accepts them, which we'll talk more about that in just a minute, the more the other person accepts them, the more I share, then finally, it's not until all of my bricks are gone that then when the other person says, I love you, then I believe it because I know that they truly know me. Now, in this process, if I'm sharing these bricks and I'm handing them So my husband's name is Rob. If I'm handing him my bricks and I'm saying, cherish this, he has a couple of choices. He could either hold that brick and cherish it. He could share that brick with someone else, or he could take that brick and throw it back at me and attack me for what I just said to him. So if I shared with him about how I remember being 10 years old and crying with my mother before school because I was so scared about going to school. I was so scared something was going to happen to my parents. I was so scared something was going to happen to me. I had major anxiety at 10 years old. And I remember how terrifying that was for me. I couldn't sleep at night. If I were to share that with him and he were to take that brick and say, you're ridiculous. That's I mean, who would think that at 10 years old? That's why you are the way you are today, because you didn't deal with your anxiety when you were 10 years old. That would essentially be him taking that brick and throwing it back at me. And then I'll feel like I just shared something about me that was so vulnerable and he didn't accept it. So clearly I'm not lovable. Clearly I'm not the person he wants me to be. And so then what happens is I don't just put that brick back on my wall. I put 1800 more bricks on my wall and I fortify it as a castle and I put a little moat down and I'm not going to let anyone get to me because I want to protect myself. So this is what happens in that second stage of a relationship or of falling in love, which is acceptance. So acceptance means that you're learning about the person You're hearing their vulnerabilities. You're hearing their stories, why they feel the way they feel, why they are the person they are. And you're choosing whether or not this is something you're going to accept or something that you can't accept. But if you can accept it, then that leads you to stage three of the love path, which is attachment. This is so fun, by the way. I think I like, because it's like uh, psychoanalyzing almost. (laughs) It allows you to like think through and pull it apart. I've never really thought through how to pull this apart before because it's a big old topic, right? It's like yeah, it is. beyond, beyond someone had to th- sit around and think about this for a long time. And it makes a lot of sense as you go through it, right? It makes perfect sense, but it's fun. It's like literally pulling things apart by piece by piece. So, all right, mm-hmm. move on. Attachment. Attachment. So the attachment part of a relationship is really where you start getting into the bread and butter. These are the things that you begin to do on a day-to-day basis to really further attach to each other. Now, attachment is not codependency. Attachment is not being completely independent either. It's finding this really good spot of interdependence where you're basically able to say, I want you in my life, but I don't need you in my life. And so you have your identity, you have your passions, you can have two different passions, but you also know 
that you can come back together and you have a strong bond that's pulling you together. Attachment is, I mean, these are things that you do. They can be family rituals that you have together. They can be even just the ritual of sitting down for a family dinner every evening, date nights that are happening every week, but it's really continuing. Let me put it this way. The most important part of the attachment phase of a relationship is basically saying, I know that you're going to be there for me. That's the bottom line because you listen to me. You're physically present. You're present mentally when I'm talking to you. You're present by talking and listening to me. You're present to provide for my emotional needs. And you're present for me, even in that spiritual aspect of we have similar beliefs and values and we back each other up. We have each other's back. You feel safe, you feel secure, and you feel connected. I enjoyed this one. And I also want you to describe or give some examples of what codependence versus independence are. Because if you've never looked at this before, there was a time in my relationship where I'm super independent, then accidentally became kind of codependent, and then became interdependent eventually. And I definitely saw those fa- like, but I've had to first be aware of what that was, because I didn't know why I was unhappy underneath. And it was because of unnatural code, like that's not even me to be codependent. And so, and I'll just give an example, right? It happened because I was very independent, didn't need anybody. And then married my husband and he was the breadwinner. And so therefore I felt it like created in a way codependency or, or whatever, right? It was like, I'm sure there's a bone of contention for a lot of people. So until I felt like I could fulfill my purpose and also like be equal, that brought me back to interdependence. Now that may not be everyone's story, but it's part of how it unraveled for me. I just felt what you said there, as I could become independent again, like I felt happier in my relationship. It was because I didn't need it. So I wanted it more. Right. Does that make sense? It's like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't being trapped. It was like, Oh, I'm here because I just love being here. And I feel like I can stand on my own. It's just fulfillment. So much stuff boils down to fulfillment in life. So anyway, if you would give people some examples of codependent and independent or interdependence, I think that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm thinking of a friend that I have who uh, over the past, you know, 10 years of her marriage, she has found her whole identity in her husband. So, I mean, to the point when her marriage a couple of years ago was going through a really rocky spot, she did not know what to do with herself. He had left, he had moved out for a period of time. She couldn't leave her house. She went into really deep depression and just didn't know what to do with herself because she had put all of herself and her identity into her marriage and into her relationship. I see that as being a form of codependency where you can no longer see a life without your spouse in it. Now, I'm not saying we should be planning lives without our spouse in it, but when we are so entangled in that, that we literally can't function if something were to happen with our relationship, then that is where, like you said, that's where we're finding our fulfillment. But here's the problem with that. Your relationship, my relationship, any relationship is never going to be able to ultimately fulfill me. Mm -hmm. If I'm putting all of my eggs in that basket of this is where my happiness is going to come from. This is it. Well, no one is perfect every day. There is going to be days where your husband or your wife is a complete jerk. And so on that day, You're not going to be happy if you're basing your happiness on the state of your relationship. But I'll also answer it this way. So if we look at attachment theory, I think it can give us a really good indication as to what codependency and too much independence is. So attachment theory, so is basically we want to get to secure attachment. We want to get to that place where I feel confident and comfortable knowing that Well, I'll put it this way. It started with kids. So attachment theory started with children and the children who felt like they did not have a present caregiver or an erratic caregiver who was only there sometimes and not there other times. They started having attachment issues, which are now known as preoccupied or avoidant. Mm -hmm. So, or you could also say anxious is another word for the preoccupied. So we have anxious and we have avoidant and then we have secure. And then there's a fourth one, which is a combination of anxious and avoidant. But secure are the kids who they could see their mom leave when they dropped them off at daycare and they knew their mom was going to come back. And so they went and they played with the other kids and they had a great time. And then their mom came back and it was great. That's secure attachment. Young kids, 18 months to, you know, two or three years old, 
this is when they're learning this attachment part because you know you've seen the mom drop off the 18 month old and they cry and they scream. Well, the child realizes their parent is about to leave and they get scared. And when they get scared, they typically begin to act out because they're trying to elicit an emotion from their caregiver to get them to stay. We do this in our relationships as adults as well. It just doesn't work to our advantage. So what a child learns if they have a parent who never comes back, who never watches them, who never attends to their needs, is they're either going to become anxious to where they're now always wanting something. They're crying. They're begging. They're they're whining. They're doing things to try and get attention because they're saying, if you can see how much I'm hurting, then you'll respond to me. But the other side of this is that a child could become disengaged where they just, they stop having emotions. They stop caring because they've said, I've tried to get your attention. You don't give me attention. I'm done trying. Well, these are things that can be instilled in us from childhood, from a way that a parent reacted towards us or from an early romantic relationship that we can carry into the marriages that we have now. It could also stem from what's currently happening in someone's marriage. So when my husband and I first got married, I would say I was pretty preoccupied because I had a really bad romantic relationship before my husband where someone, I believed I was going to marry that person and they cheated on me. They left. And it was like one day, I love you so much. Next day, gone. So what that told me was I can't trust anything. I have to have constant validation that this person loves me and is going to stay. So at the beginning of my marriage, that was me. And so when my husband was the introvert, right, and coming home, and then he wanted to be alone, well, what it was leading to in my mind was he wants to be away from me. He's going to leave me. I'm not good enough. I need to do something to let him know how much this is hurting me so he'll stop. So then I'll feel better about our relationship. That's not healthy because then I'm acting out of my anxiety. I'm trying to find my happiness and contentedness in him and it wasn't working. The flip side of that could be that someone is just really turned off to emotion. They don't care if what they're doing is hurting their spouse and they're more of that avoidant. They feel like you're going to hurt them anyway, so they're just going to shut off. And that's where you can be too independent, where you're too much of, I'm just going to do my own thing and you do yours and we'll see how it works. Mm -hmm. But what we need to find is that interdependence where it's, I do have my own thing and I like what I do and I can have my own life, but I want to be with you. I want to do life with you. I don't have to. I'm not going to die if you leave me. I don't want to have to do it alone. I want to do it with you. So let's do it together. But it's not this suffocating have to. I find my worth and my value in you that can be so damaging to us, but also suffocating for our spouse. Mm -hmm. I think communicating this as well, which communication is always a challenge in general, right? Like a lot boils down to communication. But if you're able to communicate this in some way or another, it's very romantic, right? In theory, because like, I mean, if we've got some healthy stuff going on here in our relationship, being able to tell someone that, you know, I'm able to function without you, but I would rather be with you. I mean, that is like literally what you signed up for. Right. And that the point of being together somewhat. So I didn't, anyway, it was just, it's interesting. And I think sometimes we don't realize slipping in. I mean, at least I didn't realize slipping into codependency. And I think as a nation, sometimes we act kind of codependent, like, oh, this must happen in order for me to be happy. Well, we forget our personal responsibility, which mm -hmm. is to create our own happiness, you know, a little bit. So we're yeah. completely. Right. So anyway, I just, I, I think we all like have to step back sometimes and in a non-judgmental way say, oh, shucks, like, am I in healthy habits or kind of unhealthy mental narrative and habits? So, mm -hmm. all right, cool. So we've talked through the process of falling in love in terms of attraction, acceptance, attachment. What's next? So the fourth and final stage, I'll let you know, Krista, is one that most couples don't get to. Mm -hmm. But for the couples who do get there, it is the deepest stage of satisfaction that a couple can get to in their relationship. The name of this stage is aspiration, but here's what it means. So once you feel comfortable, so you're attracted, you feel accepted, you know it's a safe place, then you have the ability to vision and dream together. What happens in most relationships is we date and we have this vision of getting engaged. We get engaged and we have the vision and the dream of getting married. We get married and then we have the vision and the dream of having kids and getting the white picket fence and the beautiful house. And then once we get those things, we stop making plans together. We stop having something that we're working towards as a couple. And so what typically ends up happening 
is one person will have their thing that they do, whether it's being a mom or running a business, the other person will have the thing that they do, whatever that is. And so they'll have personal dreams and we'll start working towards those. But that's how we can start moving apart because our dreams are taking us apart. We're not working towards something together. This kind of goes back to what we were just talking about a little bit. And it's not that two people in a relationship have to be doing the same thing. But what is it that both of you can focus on that's a next step, that's a dream that you have together? And maybe it's that you want to retire in the Florida Keys together. Great. Maybe it's that you want to eventually get an RV and travel around the country every weekend. Maybe it's that every year you want to take a week-long vacation with the family or just the two of you. Maybe it's that you actually want to start doing something with your spouse. Like maybe you want to start some kind of business together. Whatever it is, we stop dreaming. We stop planning. We stop doing things together that excite us. And this is where people start feeling like they don't know who they're married to anymore. They feel like they're just roommates. They feel like they woke up one day and there's no spark there anymore. It's typically because they haven't been doing anything that's been focusing them and bringing them back together. Now, here's the amazing thing that happens. And you probably know this as a businesswoman to be true, but because I can think of it in my business, when I have a vision of where I want to go and a big goal that I want to achieve, then the little annoying things that happen on a day-to-day basis really aren't that big of a deal when I'm focused on something bigger. But when I don't know where I'm going, then everything that happens, all the little fires or the little like, I think of them as like just little chihuahuas barking in my head all day long. These little things that happen that can distract my attention. Well, if I don't know where I'm going, then any of those things can grab my attention and feel like it's the biggest fire in the world that I have to put out that day because I don't, I don't have vision of where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. And so it happens in our relationships as well. If I don't have a vision of where my marriage is headed, where we're going, what we're working towards together as a couple, then the fight about taking out the trash or who's going to do the taxes or did we discipline our child the correct way today? My children went outside when they shouldn't have this morning, like things like that. <laughs> then those can become huge issues to us if we don't have vision of where we're going. But when we have that vision, those things just become okay, let's work this out. But we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got bigger places to go. We're headed a certain way. That is the aspiration stage of a relationship. Cool. That makes so much sense because we talk about that in the early stages of my business of visualization. And I mean, the more you use vision and you know where you're going, I mean, like we can apply this to pretty much every concept possible that it's easy yeah. to get stuck in minutia of any process because anything worth doing isn't usually an immediate, quick, simple thing. Usually mm-hmm. there is quite a bit of a process. And so you really have to be focused on the prize. And step outside of yourself and look outside (laughs) in order to see that. Because when you're in the minutia of it, it can get kind of draggy. So that's super fun. And I think the other thing here is like revisiting this often because it can change quite a bit. Or maybe like you started with something and it's not exactly what you wanted after a while. So being able to revise it. So anyway, that's fun. And it's also fun. It's like I just got back from doing a bit of a girls weekend that really needed to happen, of course, right? 2020 stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you just become so energized when you like, have a chance to like mastermind and dream and all those things. And you can apply that to, I mean, that was like that fun relationship as we talked about. I think it was us that talked about that today is that, you know, like these are the relationships. Oh, uh, the best relationships are the ones that you feel like you like the way you feel around the person. Mm -hmm. Right. And so anyway, just kind of cool because we're talking about marriages and spouses, but this is about any relationship. Kind of, this is kind of a, there's pieces here that work for every relationship in general, or why do some relationships work better than others? Maybe so to speak. So cool. Okay. So the process of falling in love is attraction, acceptance, detachment, and aspiration. Oh, I see what you did there. Four A's. Got it. Got this. That's how you remember stuff. You got to have really really good acronyms or alliterations or whatever. All right. So man, this is like so much fun. I hope it's okay if we keep going and talk about a couple more things. Um, Because I think we've laid a foundation. So now it's like, let's talk about those not simple questions where, you know, when you ask this question, it's like, well, let me lay the foundation first. So for example, what are common things people fight about? And how do you know, like, at what point does it get to where this isn't going to work? You know, Mm -hmm. like, how do you know if it's worth saving, essentially? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So common things people fight about are going to be in-laws, finances, parenting, sex, 
These are some of the bigger ones that people fight about. But when we really look at every single issue that a couple could fight about, it's all going to boil down to being one of three things. It's going to fall in one of three categories. That someone doesn't feel liked, loved, or respected. No matter what it is, everything else is just symptoms. And if we look at the research that came out of the University of Washington, it, that it directly aligns with the top reasons that marriages end because someone doesn't feel liked, loved, or respected. So typically, if I am disagreeing with my husband about whatever, I said this earlier, who's going to take out the trash? Who's going to unload the dishwasher? Then it's really not about the dishes. It's not about the dishwasher. It's about either I don't feel like he's listening to me, so I don't feel respected. Or maybe I feel like if he loved me and cared about me that he would do this and it wouldn't be such a hassle to try and get it done. So it's going to fall into me feeling one of those three ways. Now, the other part of your question was, so how do you know if it's just not worth saving? How can you move past these disagreements that you have? Well, if we know that these are the things that stem from the frustrations and arguments that we have, one or both people do not feel like the other person likes, loves, or respects them in that moment. Keeping that in mind is one huge part of this. How am I communicating with my spouse? Even when I'm upset, even when we disagree, how can I still communicate with them and show them that I like, love, and respect them? But another part of this is learning to compromise. And this is something that it's easy to talk about and hard to implement because our emotions get in the way. But when I really identify what is my core need and my spouse can identify what is their core need and we make those core needs as small as possible. So we're not being ridiculous in saying that you need everything under the sun. I need eight hours a day to go to the spa. Like that's ridiculous. But what is it I really need? And then make everything outside of that what's flexible. Here's where I'm flexible. Here's where we can negotiate. Here's where we can compromise. Then you want to find out how to compromise the best and most ways that you can. So this is what can move us past these disagreements, really listening to the other person, understanding where they're coming from, treating each other with love and respect in the conversation and finding compromise. Most people don't do that well. <laughs> it takes practice and effort. You can get there. And when you implement those things, I believe any relationship can be saved or can work out, especially if one person is at least willing to be the first to start doing that. And eventually both people getting on board with that. But it really does just take one person at the beginning to be intentional in saying, I'm going to change how I'm responding when we fight or when I'm asking you to do something. I'm going to take ownership and do it and do it a better way. Sometimes you need a coach with this. Sometimes you really do need that neutral third party, especially the bigger the issue is. You really do need that neutral third party to help you see things in a different light and a different perspective. Because I know for me, I can blow things out of perspective super easy. And then when I talk to one of my dear friends about it, who I trust with talking about with my marriage, he's able to look at me and say, Kimberly, like you are in the wrong here. You are blowing this out of proportion. And it helps me to get back in that, back in the right headspace and be able to work things out with my husband. Cool. I think like the last thing that we'll have time to talk about today that makes sense in context of what we've already talked about is how to start to have better conversations or how to change those conversations. So let's say you've gotten into this kind of nitpicky, resentful, um, whatnot conversation. It's become a default. Even if you start the day well, or you have intentions, oftentimes we're very good at reacting. And so a reaction is usually like a defense mechanism, right? Like we're naturally trying to protect ourselves. So what are your suggestions for someone who says, Oh my gosh, okay, this has helped me kind of pull apart things and see how, where maybe some issues are, how can I move forward and change? How can I change the conversations that we're having? Because the challenging thing is it's not a one way conversation. It is still a two way conversation. And so you do need to go about it in a gentle way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gentle is a great word there. One of the best things, one of the best implementable things that someone can start doing right away, or at least start being aware of whether or not we do it is the second part. But be aware of how you start a conversation, especially if you're approaching your spouse about something that you're unhappy with or something that hurt you. So a lot of times we kind of start having the fight in our head saying, I know I need to talk to my husband about this. Again, going back to the silly example of the trash, I'm going to talk to him about the trash. 
but then this is what he's going to say. And then this is what I'm going to say. And we start getting angry before we ever even have the conversation. So then by the time we actually have the words come out of our mouth, we we're starting in what's called a harsh startup. We are already 10 levels deep into the fight and our spouse doesn't even know what's coming. So I would encourage people to take a step back and watch the first words that come out of your mouth. And if it's anything along the lines of how could you, or why are you like this, or what's wrong with you, then you need to change what you're about to say. And instead, come at it from that standpoint, we've all heard it, of, hey, when you did this, I felt this way. And not when you were a complete jerk, but saying when, you know, the other day when I asked you if you would help take out the trash and then you said you would and you didn't, I'm just letting you know, this is how I felt. And, and even watching your tone, watching how you say it makes a world of difference into how that conversation can happen. And that's the easiest first thing that a person can begin to do when it comes to that. The second thing I would say, if there's resentment and anger is start replacing your thoughts. So when you think back to five years ago, one year ago, a month ago, when your spouse said this or did this, and it just makes you so angry, I would encourage you to start writing down. And I know it sounds cheesy. I know it sounds cheesy, but the research backs it up. (laughs) Write down the things you're thankful for. Write down the good thoughts. Write down the gratitude and focus on those things. Because Living in the resentment isn't going to fix anything right now. You have to get your relationship to a point where you can work through and talk about those things that hurt you in the past, but it's probably not there yet. So focus on you changing your perspective, you changing the thoughts you're having, and then you can work on rebuilding the communication in your marriage. Those are great tangible thoughts of personal responsibility and where we can start because we can't change. I don't know where this comes from, but. I think it's like a common knowledge. Like this is just like a law of whatever, like you can't change other people. (laughs) So, so you just have to do what you can do within your own. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like, again, if you're a mirror, if you're starting with gratitude, it's going to reflect more positively than if you start Mm -hmm. in a dark, as you called it, harsh start, I think is what you called it. Maybe harsh Harsh start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Good deal. I've never heard that before. So much fun to talk through this. I hope we get to talk about other angles of relationships in the future. Kimberly, where can people find you online? So I also have a podcast and it's talking all about attraction. So the pies that we talked about, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, I talk about one of those or a combination of them every single week. So you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. It starts with attraction. But you can also find me at itstartswithattraction.com and get a free attraction assessment download, a little assessment you can take to see where you fall on the pies and which ones you can work towards and which ones you are currently rocking it in. But then for your marriage, if you're wanting help there, then you can go to marriagehelper.com or you can go to youtube.com and look at Marriage Helper. We have a ton of free videos and free resources on that as well. Those are the best places to connect with me. Awesome. Very good. We'll have those in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Krista. I enjoyed talking to you. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.